We built some custom solutions for scaling different parts of our system differently. All the while, of course, from the very get-go, we were Dockerized and we were using Kubernetes and things like that. But in many cases, that, that wasn't enough. Especially in our case, like it's interesting, you know, meetings tend to start at the top of the hour. And so you would have like this barrage of instantiation of meeting sessions all around the same time. And then meetings finish around the same time. And so you really have to build a platform that, you know, can scale very flexibly and quickly on demand and, and handle these peak loads, which we were constantly having. My name is Artem Korin. I'm the co-founder and chief product officer of Assembly AI. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Took six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the back end. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. Took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of her team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today our Artem Karin is taking AI to new levels and building the smartest team assistant for your meetings. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Artem Corinne is now based in Amsterdam and has been a techie since his early years. He was programming in QBasic and C in fifth grade and building web applications in high school. Post-school at Columbia, he started working at dot-com businesses but found himself disenchanted with the state of AI. Outside of tech, he loves chess, attending running club, jujitsu, and cosmology, the study of space, black holes, and things like that. Artem and his co-founder have years of experience in digital transformation. With the latest innovations in AI proving useful, they decided to make digesting and utilizing information from meetings easier. This is the creation story of Assembly AI. Assembly AI is an AI teammate, also known as an AI meeting assistant. It's an application that you invite to your online meeting. So you can invite it to a Microsoft Teams meeting, a Google Meet meeting, or a Zoom meeting just like you would a regular person. So you can include Assembly on your invite, or you can, in our app, tell us to join your meeting. Assembly will show up as another participant in your meeting. It will say hello. It will say, hey, I'm recording this meeting. And then it will hang out with you during the meeting. At the end of the meeting, Assembly will process all the information it heard during the call and generate some insights for you. So for instance, you'll have the full transcript of the meeting. You'll have automatic meeting notes 
that are very comprehensive and very actionable. Uh, you'll also have automatically generated list of tasks. So all the things that you may have to do at, after the meeting is over, you'll have those tasks already generated for you, which can appear both in assembly, but also in your to-do app or desk management app, and they can be automatically populated there. There's things like risks and issues and decisions that assembly picks up on. And then finally, there's an AI chatbot called Assemblyant with whom you can talk to about your meeting. So you can ask assembly and some questions about the meeting or ask it to generate some content based on the meeting. So for instance, literal example from yesterday, I was talking to one of our recruiters after a uh, candidate interview and I gave some feedback on the candidate. So I said, okay, these are things that were good, but these are things I'm concerned about. So then after that call, I went into assembly and I asked it to generate for me the resume of an ideal candidate based on my feedback on the call. And it did it. And I just copied and pasted that to the recruiter. Let's dive into the MVP then. So that first version of the product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So the decision on the platform, the stack was crucial. And I have previous experience in you know IT management and, and product management. So I kind of knew the the macro things that would be involved. I, I consulted with some of my friends who happened to be architects in the IT space and talked about what's in vogue and, and which frameworks are, are good for what. And, and so we ultimately landed on a Postgres backend for the database, Django middle layer and React for the front end. Then I'm giving you some goodies now. What I did was I hired not too expensive, but like a fairly expensive professional shop to build me a skeleton of my SaaS platform. So basically build a framework where, you know, the main screen of the interfaces, the, the, the login, the user management piece, just the basic, basic things you need in every SaaS application, right? You need to be able to register, you need to be able to log in, log out, and then you need to be able to see some stuff on your screen. And so they build that framework. And then we hired a team in Odessa, Ukraine, to that I then handheld to take the application, you know, all the way, all the way out. And that first MVP, I think, you know, there's there's a proof of concept bit that we did using a Raspberry Pi as a recorded device, believe it or not. We did that in a matter of maybe three months or so, like two, three months. And then the first MVP, I would say, is probably six or seven months in. Let's stay on an MVP for a minute. With any MVP, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs. And I'm curious about some you had to make and specifically how you coped with those decisions. We were building assembly at a time when there was no such concept of an AI meeting assistant in the wild. I mean, companies existed, but it wasn't well known. And so when you would go to a potential user or a company and say, hey, there's this product we have, are you interested? Very often you'd get blank stares and you would have to do a lot of education to those users to explain to them what it is and what it can do for them. There were a few must-have components that we needed in our in our system for it to be basically workable. And so the first was we had to be able to attend meetings and record them. We needed to be able to transcribe them. We needed to be able to diarize them, meaning figure out who said what, and then be able to extract insights from them and finally present those insights. We had to have some minimal version of all those components lined up and working together to present a result. Otherwise, the, the product wasn't there. So in that sense, you know, there's some products that I think MVPs could be 
you know, simpler, like kind of what is the minimal set of components it takes for it to be alive. For our product, unfortunately, there's a lot of components. For some products, very often, it's just the web app part, the, the interface part that's enough to be alive. But in our case, we had to attend meetings, record meetings, transcribe, diarize, analyze. So there was a lot of little pieces that all had to come together. And when we started developing this product back in 2019, a lot of these technologies were still very raw. Like transcription was an unsolved problem. Diarization was generally not available. And AI was just, you know, like not even a buzzword at the time. So... We had to, you know, do a lot of innovation on the fly to stick it all together to present and to present a product that our users can minimally, minimally get benefit from. So that, that's kind of how we started out. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. Okay, so you've got your MVP. It's working. People like it. You're gaining traction. I'm curious about how you progressed and matured the product from there. And I think to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how did you build your roadmap? And how did you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build with Simbly? So important to know, we started by orienting ourselves to the larger company market, so larger companies and enterprises. And that's where both me and my co-founder, Gil McLeod, that's, you know, our background is a lot in that. And so our thinking and our styling of the product was always towards the larger environment, which ended up being our Achilles heel in the first few years, because we build a product that fits the enterprise, but the usability and experience on the individual level was, was very lacking. 
it was tough to use. It was hard to understand. It wasn't intuitive. It was hard to gain traction because even though we were able to get in the door of some larger companies, once it hit the users, we we hit a lot of roadblock because you know just they they just didn't really know what to do with it. One of the users told us it's like sitting in, into a a Boeing or an Airbus cockpit, and they just don't know which buttons to press or why they would press them. And so we we had a big pivot where we reoriented to the individual experience, and this happened maybe two three years ago, somewhere around there. And that was kind of the first step in the right direction, where we made the the experience, the user experience, very simple, very intuitive, very easy, and then started to just give give the user just the basics, but really polished and really well done in such a way that you know. It's pretty easy to ramp up in the product and and have it be valuable for you very quickly. And then you know once we started to see an uptake from users, then we started slowly adding features based on what our users told us, based on what we thought made sense internally, and also based on what we were seeing from some of our competitors. So how did you go about building your team, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? The thinking was that you know we we were a pretty cash strapped startup, and so the thinking was okay. So first of all, to afford developers, we need to go to a market where it's less expensive than let's say in the U.S. And so I had some experience traveling in Ukraine. I also happened to speak fluent Russian, and so we started with a core team of about five developers or so out in Ukraine, and that allowed us to build an MVP with very, very manageable budget. The trick there was that I thought, you know, we'd hire these guys, and then I'd go back to New York and I'd manage them remotely. But very quickly, you know, within a matter of a few days, I realized that I can't leave because there's so much interaction that we're constantly, constantly sharing information that they really needed, you know, my presence there, and. The guys were more junior, and I think if I didn't have the technical depth that I had, it probably would have been a no-go. But because I could give them enough guidance and show them, okay, this is the kind of thing that I'm looking for. This is the kind of architecture that I'm thinking about. This is the kind of experience. This this is one way we can technically make these things work. They would be able to kind of fill in the rest. And as I mentioned, we already had that skeleton of a, of a of a SaaS platform, and so they weren't starting with zero. And so with that, you know, my expertise plus their enthusiasm and zero fear, we were able to get things done. I think the zero fear thing is very important. You know, there are some decisions that they're going to make that you're going to need to revisit later, but at the same time, they're very enthusiastic and not. Apprehensive about solving a different difficult problem, that an experienced developer would be like, "You're out of your mind if you think this is, you know, we we can do this in a month." This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vercel edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. 
Head over to terso.tech slash codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. Let's flip to scalability then, and this will be interesting. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or with scale in mind, or have you been fighting this as you grow and gain traction? We were building with scale in mind. However, uh, scalability is one of those things that it's very, very difficult to know that your product is well scaled because the test for scalability is complex and in our case, very difficult to execute and to build a worthwhile test suite would be as complex as building you know, real features in the product. And so we always had to opt for the real features rather than a scalability test suite. Once the platform really got traction by virtue of the, of the traffic in the platform, we found the places where we weren't scalable. With every growth spurt, we would identify kind of the next weakest link in the environment and start to patch that link and then, you know, find the next. And then, you know, eventually we got to a point where we're very comfortable with the end-to-end and, and we have some custom, I would say, scaling mechanisms. Like we scale in a custom way where we we shape our usage pattern because you can imagine that an AI meeting assistant, we're very active during working hours wherever they may be. But then after work hours, there's very little activity on the platform. And so we needed to be able to scale with that load to also be cost effective in the way we manage our cloud. And so we built some custom solutions for scaling different parts of our system differently. All the while, of course, from the very get-go, we were Dockerized and we were using Kubernetes and things like that. But in many cases, that that wasn't enough, especially in our case. Like, it's interesting, you know, meetings tend to start at the top of the hour. And so you would have like this barrage of instantiation of meeting sessions all around the same time. And then meetings finish around the same time. And so you really had to build a platform that, you know, can scale very flexibly and quickly on demand and and handle these peak loads, which we were constantly having. Well, Artem, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'll probably say the 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 overall assembly team and organization that we were able to build. I think that's probably the, the number one most proud like the people how they're organized the the company taste that we have our style of work how everyone collaborates together i think that machine that we were able to stand up was i'm, I'm most proud of if you know if we we're gonna go into like different solutions or business decisions there's so many candidates for that spot but i think if i had to pick one it would be you know our company culture and the, the team organization around around that culture 
Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We didn't start to build telemetry into our product until much later than would have been optimal, which means that for a long time, we were kind of flying blind and we weren't really sure if there were issues happening in certain parts of the system, that if they were happening, why they were happening, who they were impacting, how frequently and so on. And it took us a while to get around to building this telemetry into every step of the way of our user's journey with assembly. Then we started to be able to ask good questions and get answers to those questions as far as what's happening uh, when users use our platform. And so today we have a lot of telemetry and we know a lot about how the, our users want assembly to attend, like which languages they use, like you know how you know how long they stay on calls, like all sorts of things, like what parts of the application they use and how often. And that really, really helps. You're always challenged with like something happens, why did this happen? You have to be able to have good telemetry to be able to answer those questions. And that, I think, didn't let us correct certain things quick enough very early. Well, this will be fun to ask, Artem. I'm always interested to hear the founder's perspective here. What does the future look like for the product and for your team? There's so much possibility for what we've built with Assembly I believe we're just scratching the surface. So it's items that we're generating today from team conversations, meeting notes, tasks. That's kind of like the low-hanging fruit. And the, the big challenge to date was effectively being able to flow into our users' day-to-day meeting environment, making it very fluid to be able to participate on any meeting they're on and to effectively capture their conversations and turn them into something that we can analyze. And a lot, a lot, a lot of the platform is based on that. And, you know, to do that, not only for individuals, but to do that in like large corporate environments. In the years that are coming, you have to think about the fact that as, as, as these AI teammates hang out with you in your conversations, they're basically made aware of everything that's going on in your team. And so they're starting to build this digital trail of your work activity. And you can see how an AI who has full awareness of this digital trail of each individual in the team plus the team as a whole can now make intelligent decisions or notice certain things that it can can communicate to team members, it can communicate to team leads, and it can also communicate across teams. And so the future is, you know, one of the paths in the future is this enterprise awareness in organizations where there's this kind of a second brain that's behind the scenes, that's aware of all of the things that are happening on teams and in practically real time can can relay that information across uh, different AI nodes in the organization and measure that in next to real time against strategic value metrics performance metrics against certain like competitive metrics and you can imagine as an organization coming alive right like the nerve endings are can respond almost instantaneously whereas today if you go to an enterprise environment they try to do these things but these things take you know in the best case a quarter 
but in most cases, a couple of quarters to do what's called like strategic alignment and portfolio project portfolio optimization, which is some of the things we used to do in management consulting back in the day. These are very manual, takes a very long time, takes a lot of hours, a lot of effort. And, you know, there's there's a lot of variance to to the, the results because it's very human reliant on who and how is managing these kinds of efforts. Often they fall to the PMO, sometimes not. But it's a very like frozen in time process, whereas now you can have an organization that becomes highly responsive um, to everything that's going on all at the the same time. It kind of can feel itself through the nodes of all of its team members because it has a tentacle that's kind of this AI tentacle in all of the team members through this AI teammate that hangs out with you and participates with you on all your meetings. Sounds a little sci-fi, but I think that's the world we live in. Let's switch to you, Artem. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something that you look up to and why. Well, there's the, the classics, the, like Steve Jobs and, and how he used to think about product and organization. I, I really like what, you know, what he has to say. And then I think it's like a big mix of some of the popular voices in, in, in tech. I like what, you know, Jan LeCun has to say with regards to how to approach AI. He's very even-keeled and practical, and he doesn't give in to the, the hype. The way we think about engineering solutions and innovation, I, I, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to, um, to what he has to say. There's no like one person that I will uh, kind of single out, like this, you know, this is exactly the person that, that I want to emulate. I think I kind of survey across the landscape and then I pick out things that I think resonate with me really well and try to adopt those things. Okay, last question, Artem. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? First of all, every startup is a unique organism in the unique ecosystem. And my first advice is take every piece of advice with a grain of salt. There is no prescription to a successful startup. It just doesn't exist. That's like saying, what's the perfect living organism? Okay, I mean, like a fish, okay, and, and land that's not going to survive. Human, okay, in the, spa- in, in the cosmos, like outside our atmosphere, we won't survive. So it really depends on the timing the environment, some of the social tendencies, some of the technical tendencies, like what are what business problems are in vogue at the time. So, so much the, the financial landscape. There's so, so many factors and they all culminating in this one in this one startup. The first thing is like recognize that you're you're a unique and special marble and there's nothing universal that will apply to you that that applies to everyone else. That said, you have to keep your, your ears open. You have to keep your antennas up and, you know, listen as much as possible and then and then see if what you're doing is getting you progress. But pro- by progress, that is, are you seeing growing enthusiasm from people who you talk to about your product or idea? If you're already in a stage where you have a product or an MVP to show, are people you know, wanting to bring this in rather than you having to explain to them why they need it. So kind of pay attention to those like very intuitive indicators that there's a pull for your product. And I think, and that's the, the question of market market fit. 
probably the most, in our experience, maybe not for every product, but in our experience, this has been the most challenging, challenging question. It's like, how do you find a fit for the product in such a way that it generates demand? And it took us a while to get there, luckily, some correct notes. And then now, you know, we're, we're very successful in terms of our growth. But I would say, yeah, I would say that. I would say it's like, you're unique. There's no kind of advice that's universal. That said, talk to a lot of people, get a lot of feedback and start to notice what are the, you know, what are some common themes and are you getting that pull? And if you're not getting that pull, that means you have some work to do. That's great advice. Well, Artem, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of Simbly AI. Thank you for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.